Good morning, church. Good morning, City Lights. A little throwback Sunday. Did somebody just whistle at me? <laughs> My wife's in here now. My wife's in here. I want to welcome again all those who are watching online. If I've not had an opportunity to meet you, my name's Peyton. I'm the lead pastor here at City Lights Church, and we're doing something called Throwback Sunday, and I'd love to just give our worship team a little bit more love. Let me tell you something about them that you need to know. Um, it, they don't just show up on Sunday mornings and, like, luckily somehow get all that stuff together. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into it. In fact, let me tell you what they did this week. They gave up their Friday night to come in here and practice for a couple hours. So I, I want to just say this. If there's a song that we do, first off, if you're old school, you should have loved the music today, okay? You should just be thanking Jesus that we, we yeah, one man back there, just all right, so I'll be honest about it. All right, we, yeah, we, go ahead, Norma. It's all right. We love music like that. We love all music. But what I'm saying is this. It's just because we may do a song that you don't like or it's not your style, don't forget the hard work that goes into these guys learning these songs. And let me tell you how it typically works is... Um, They'll, they'll plan a few weeks ahead or um, I'll send them a song and I don't care how hard it is or how difficult. I'm like, hey, can you do this? And I'm telling you, 99.99% of the times they say, yeah, pastor, we'll do it. And they learn it and they get it done. So again, just one more time, I want to just give it up for our worship team. Now, this morning, I woke up and put this suit on. I told my wife, I said, I typically only wear suits to funerals, so I felt a little weird this morning, to be honest with you. Joe, it just felt weird when I put this suit on. I wasn't wearing my, my skinny jeans or a V-neck, and so I just didn't know if I was going to be able to preach right this morning, Jessica, but I am feeling good, and uh, Cody and Michael Jones said that they were going to make an entourage for me and start playing Every Girl's Crazy About a Sharp-Dressed Man when I walked to the stage. <laughs> But I thought, no, let's just stick with the plan, Cody, and play the video, play the video. So, hey, so glad you guys are here this morning. We are doing a little throwback Sunday service, and I love Billy Graham and them preaching. When I think of, when I think of old school church, and I'm not knocking, I'm just saying old school for, for younger people, I think of these, these great evangelists who would preach messages that you got to get saved, you got to get right with God, and you need to confess your sins, and you need to repent before it's too late. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but when it comes to Christianity today, who would just be honest and say, that? listen, first off, if you're watching a line, you're here this morning, and you're like, hey, man, I don't even know how I feel about all this stuff, that's okay. We want to welcome you here. You're in a safe place where you're not going to be judged. But I am talking to believers in Jesus Christ right here just for a moment. How many of you would be honest and say, Pastor, there's been times or there are times where I just doubt if I really am in a relationship with God like that, if I am saved? We've got some pretty confident people in here this morning. Good. Well, good for you. Well, let me tell you something. As the pastor, I, I sometimes doubt about my relationship with him. Not because of his goodness, but because I know how messed up I am and how much I know I need him. 
And so this morning, I, I want to talk with, uh, really, just a, it's a strong message, to be honest with you. It's a strong message because um, this is the essence of our faith, that we believe that Jesus Christ was sent by God, by God, to the cross to pay this, for the sins of the world, that he gave up his spirit. He, let's clarify. He did not just die on the cross. He gave up himself on the cross for humanity. He went to the grave, and on the third day, he rose again. And we believe because of that, we can experience salvation. That is that communion, that intimacy, that commitment that bonds us forever to him. Now, this is my story that I would have shared in 2009, January 21st, 2009. If you'd asked me before that moment, that night, was I a Christian, I would have said yes. But what I based it off of is not what I would base it off today. I would have said things like, I went to church, I believe in God, I mean, God are good, I went to church. But I think, there's a, I think what we're going to see in the scripture today is that it's a lot more deeper than just believing in God. That's not enough to believe in him. And so maybe you feel a little bit more welcomed. Maybe you feel a little less nervous. I want to ask you one more time. Are, are there anybody in here? Is there anybody in here that ever doubts with, am I just, am I, are me and God good? Am I saved? Am I with him? A few more people, good. Well, this message isn't for you then if you don't doubt, okay? It is for everybody else. I think we have to be careful in our culture. We hear people say, have you ever heard people say or have you ever said, we're all children of God? I think we have to be careful with that. And here's how I want to explain that to you. My biological father, his name is Steve Wills. I call him my biological father because he was not my dad. Give me that water. I've got some allergy stuff going on this morning. Y'all thought I was getting serious and thinking, but I've just been trying not to cough. Thank you. My biological father, Steve, he and my mom, <laughs> takes two, right? <laughs> In case y'all didn't know. <laughs> we teach all things here at City Lots. <clears throat> Created me. They gave me life. However, Steve, and I'm not sad, and this isn't a pity party, I'm just being honest, he chose alcohol and drugs and another life instead of me. Therefore, just because a man can create a child, it takes more than that to be his father. Amen, anybody. Amen. You've got to walk. You've got to grow. You've got to listen. You've got to answer questions that you don't know how. You've got to go through every single moment of their life. It's a responsibility and it's a privilege to be a father. Steve did not do that. So what I'm saying is, is he my creator? Yes, was he my father? No. That is the same with God. He created all people, but we are not all sons and daughters of God. Let me show you this scripture. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It says, this is how God's children 
And the devil's children, leave me here, are made evident. Now, I show you this to show two things. Clearly, there are God's children, and there are people who are not God's children, okay? I ask in our volunteer service, parents, do you ever feel like your kids fit into this category? (laughs) One moment they feel like they're from the Lord, the next moment they feel like they're from the devil. (laughs) It's important that we see that there are God's children, and this is pretty tough, right? The devil's children. How can that be then if we're all God's children? Well, we're not all. He is creator of all. This is 1 John, excuse me, this is John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all, say this underlined word with me. I put this in there for my notes. But to all who did receive, one more time. But to all who did receive him, leave me here, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. So what we see here is I'm so glad that it shows both receive and believe because it's not enough to just believe in God. We shared this earlier in our volunteer service and you've read it. Even the demons believe in God. So what makes you different from a demon if you just say, hey, I believe? You must receive. So what we're going to talk about then is what does it mean to receive him? What does it mean to receive Christ, receive salvation? And here's what I want you to see. In the, in, in the South, before we go on, I want to just kind of lay this. I feel like sometimes there are some terms that we use by default. We, we, I would have said I was a Christian because I went to church. I'm not, listen, let me clarify this. Here's all, I want to ask you this. Don't judge anything I'm saying until I get to the end of the message, okay? And if you can't, give me the benefit of the doubt, all right? I would have told you I was a Christian because I prayed a prayer, because I went to church, I believed in God, and I think a lot of times in our, in our culture, we feel like that's enough. Like, I believe, and man, I prayed this prayer, and I had this experience, or I went to the altar, I got baptized. I'm not saying that... That doesn't mean you don't know Jesus. I'm just saying that sometimes it's not always what you think it is. According to Scripture, we have to receive him, not just believe him. So here's kind of, for where we're going, just the remainder of our time, I call it a bottom line or it's a sermon in a sentence. I want you to get this for the rest of the message, that you are a Christ follower by decision, not by default. You're not born into this world walking in his grace. You must decide. You must commit to follow him. Just because you're from the south and we live in the Bible belt doesn't mean that you can wrap that King James belt buckle around you and walk around and feel like me and God are good. That's not how it works. And what you're going to see, and this is tough because Christ is grace, he is love, he is mercy, he is forgiveness, redemption, restoration, healing, all-knowing, all-powerful. But he wants you to commit to him. He wants you to commit to him, which means you've got to make some decisions. And what you're going to see, what we're going to see is they're going to cost us. If we're going to be in true communion with Jesus, it's going to cost us. It should cost us something. If your relationship today, if there are no adverse effects or consequences of following Jesus, if it does not put you in spots or uh, uh, in, in moments of tension with people, your family, your workplace, 
I would encourage you to evaluate your commitment to him. We know that Christ is love. And so here's what I want. I want to share this for a moment. I'm kind of bouncing around some scripture, but we're going to get to the main spot. I just want you to kind of think of a bigger picture here for a moment. This is 1 John chapter 3. Christ is love, and I want you to see something here. We're talking about how do I know that I'm really saved, okay? Am I really, am I in God good? Am I, have I received him? Have I accepted? John's writing, he says, this is how we have come to know love. Because God is love. He laid down his life for us. That is, he paid the price, the debt, the sacrifice on the cross. Listen to what it says now. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers or sisters. This is a pretty remarkable, radical statement because we live in a society that's really all about me. What do I have? How is this going to benefit me? And can I just be really honest with you, and I'm guilty of this as well. What this picture is, is painting here is that Christians should be very selfless. That we should be putting the knees, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups of our brothers and sisters before us. But Christians are some of the most selfish people I know. We don't tip good. We complain. We grumble. We judge unbelievably, unfairly. All in Jesus' name, though, right? We too then should lay down our lives. And what you're seeing is this picture that's being painted of, hey, if I'm saved, if I'm in Christ, it's really becoming less about me and more about you. Pull up verse 17, please. This is a tough one right here for me. If anyone has the world's goods... Excuse me. I want to have you participate with me on this for a moment. Just leave me here. In one word, let's keep it serious, okay? Because it makes me nervous when I do open forum like this. Y'all make me nervous sometimes. Some of y'all are crazy and say weird stuff. <laughs> In one word, what is the world's goods? And I'm not trying to be like, like so the world's goods is money. Yeah, that's a legitimate thing, all right? So I'm not being facetious or philosophical. In one word, what is the world's goods? Food, shelter, shelter. Transportation. transportation, materials, materials. Clothing. clothing. If anyone has those things and sees his brother, you've got to understand the, the, the context of what they're writing. You could put sister here as well. And sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, Listen, how can God's love reside in him? Now, just for the point of tension, because I know that it's tension, and, and I've been guilty of this as well, if guilt is such a thing for this, but suppose you're driving down the interstate, and you don't really see it a lot here in Clinton. From time to time you do, up on the Clinton exit. But you're getting on or on an off-ramp, and someone's standing there holding a sign that says, anything will help. 
and you know you've got a couple dollars, you've got 10 minutes to run to McDonald's and get them something to eat, and you drive on by. Don't shout back at me or throw tomatoes, okay? But if you're saved, how can God's love reside in you if you see your brother in need and you have the good deeds to do it, the deeds, the world's goods, the ability? How can his love reside in you if you're so able to quickly pass right by those people? See, there's this tension. There's this really big tension when it comes to the gospel that it's this radical act of giving and generosity. That's why we say at City Lots, giving is not just from your wallet. We say it's your time, it's your talents. If you're skilled at something, you ought to use that through the local church. And it is your treasure. The heart of a giver is your time, your talents, and your treasure. Because God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. There's this, there's a, this should put us in, in some tension of, and I'm not just talking about those instances, but that is a good example of, could we do something? Now, someone said this in, in, the, in our volunteer service earlier, and I get it. They're like, hey, we don't know that those people, I say those, we are those people, but just to clarify for sake of illustration, we don't know that those people really need that money. You know, and I don't know if you've seen those scams. I saw one not too long ago. This lady was out asking for money and had like a, a 2016 car that she'd parked in the back of, you know, McDonald's parking lot. The good news is you're not God, so you don't have to judge her, okay? But there's these moments of tension, like, am I doing everything I can? Am I? Am I being selfless? Or at the end of the day, when I look in the mirror, am I pretty selfish? Verse 18 says this, he, not technically little children, but John's a spiritual father. He's writing to his church. He says, little children, we must not, and I don't want to confuse you, the emphasis on truth and action, but you could technically put, um, and I'm not trying to rewrite God's word either. Let me clarify that. I just want to help you understand it. We must not love in parentheses just, okay? We must not love in just word or speech. We should be speaking it. Right, If he's in you, you should be speaking it. But what the emphasis is on, we've got to be doing this in truth and action. So what we say that we are about, we should be showing it. Uh, a thought that came to me that I want to share with you is, a proclamation without a demonstration is meaningless. If you proclaim to have the love of God in you, but you are unable or unwilling to show it to a world, there's no use in even saying it. It's got to be both. The people that, I don't know who came up with actions speak louder than words. That's not really true. Because I know some people have big mouths and little actions. So if we are in Christ, we, it's not enough just to proclaim it, Robin. We must be demonstrating it so that we're showing the world what this love is. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to get to the meat of this question. Am I really saved? Have I truly experienced that by my faith, through his grace, I have been saved? And what I want you to see, we're just looking at five more scripture, is there's this major tension with the evidence of salvation when it comes to what Jesus is fixing to show us, that it's going to cost us something. Here's what's happening. Jesus is traveling as he so often did. There were all types of people traveling with him as there so often were. And they're around Jesus, and they have these really good experiences, and they begin to make these crazy promises. 
And I want you to see how Jesus responds, and we're going to learn just a few things from this. This is Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at 57 through 62. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, listen, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty big promise. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty big commitment. Wouldn't you agree? I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58. But, but, Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place, let me hear, to even lay his head. Notice that Jesus wasn't like, well, great, George, come on, by golly, and join my Sunday school class, and we're going to start learning about the prophet Isaiah. No, he's saying, hey, you better make sure you understand what you're committing here to. This decision that you think you want to make, you need to understand it's going to cost you something. In fact, I know you'll say you'll go wherever I go, but I need you to know that I don't know where I go, and when I get there, I don't know where I'm staying. And so then this idea is that if we are really saved, we've got to be understanding that we are committing to the destination over a location. When it comes to Christ, we're, we're thinking, hey, if I follow Christ and I work really hard and I get a good paying job, that he's going to take me to safe places and it's going to be good and cheerful and I kind of just get to come and go. But when we commit to Christ, what he's saying is, hey, there's something more important that you can't see right now that may cause you some inconvenience in your life. I think about our church, honestly. This, our church is not a picture of salvation. We are a picture of, of God's favor, a blessing, anointing. But I think about our church, there's been many times, Angie, Leslie, Jamie, Mitch, Tammy, Billy, Chrissy, everybody that's in here, Charlie, where we had a destination in mind, but the location wasn't the prettiest. You know what I mean? And, I, and as I was studying this, I felt like there were times where I just kept telling them, hey, let's believe. We're going to get there. And I believed it. And so I kept speaking it. But I often wonder if they were like, eh. <laughs> and so what Jesus is telling this presumably man is that if you're going to follow me, there's some details that aren't going to really make sense. And it's not going to be conducive to the comfortable life that you want. But you've got to keep in mind there's something greater. There's this destination that we're going. And I listen, I, don't, I want to clarify. When I say destination, I do mean eternity with Jesus, but I'm more talking about this destination, this destiny of being one with him again. So we have to understand that when we commit to following him wherever he goes, the location may change, but we have to keep our eyes on the destiny of where we're going. As he continued on the story, 59 says, he said to another person, I love this. So Jesus gives this, hey, man, I don't even know where I'm laying my head. And he looks to the next person and says this, come follow me. Like, you want to do this too? And look, the man agreed, but he said, Lord, I want to explain something. Let me first return home and bury my father. Now, the idea here in this original language is that not necessarily that this guy's dad was dead, but more so like, hey, I just need to go spend a little bit more time and I need to go back home and gather all my stuff together and, and I'll call you when I'm ready. 
And look what Jesus, how he responds. But, again, but Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Listen, your duty is to go, leave me here please, and preach about the kingdom of God. Now here's, I want you to understand this as well, okay? He wasn't talking to an ordained pastor. He wasn't talking to a church planner. He was talking to this common man who said, I want to come follow you. And he said, hey, listen, there's some things in your life that you're going to have to cut ties with if you're going to come follow me. You can't have all this and you can't have all that and all of me. Because what happens is you begin to take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and then you let a little bit of me go. You're going to have, there's some things that you're going to have to cut ties with. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes, not always, but maybe somebody needs to hear this. Maybe you're watching online and this is for you. Somebody needs to know that Christ is calling you and you're feeling that tug, but you don't want to let go of this toxic relationship. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is the best thing you could do is get out of this before it just burns you. And I know there's this tension too. Well, we're supposed to love all people, Pastor. And I love him. And he'll change. I heard a preacher say this. I don't know why I'm getting off into marriage, but don't commit your life to someone based off potential. Do it off the patterns that you've seen them live. It's going to cost us some things. There's going to be some relationships that we have to let go of. There's going to be some physical things that we need to let go of. There's going to be some emotional things that we need to let go of. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're coming with me, you're going to have to let some things go because your duty is to basically, let me say this, to share your faith. To share your faith. Not just get caught up in this mode of maintaining. And so the second thing is this, hey, if I'm really saved, then I'm always going to choose mission over maintenance. I'm always going to choose the mission of God over the maintenance of my personal life, my personal feelings, the things that I care about. I think churches today, and I listen, I love the church. Uh, this, we are a church. I love all churches. I love traditional churches. I love big churches. I love country back road churches. I love all churches because God has a plan for all of them. But I think it's really easy for the church, and I think it's really easy for um, individuals to get caught up in this life where we just want to maintain what we've got. Like, this is pretty good. I like it right here. We just kind of go into maintenance mode. We don't want to change. We don't want to grow. We don't want to be stretched. We like where we're at. We feel good with it. But what Jesus says is, hey, I've got a mission for you. If you're coming with me, and listen, this is for all people. I've got, a pro- I've, got a, I've got a project for you. I've got, this, I've got this mission for you to fulfill. And some reason I feel like we, for some reason I feel like we, we, we think that this, this missional mindset of where we live, where we work, where we play, preaching about the kingdom of God, sharing the things, is for guys like me. And let me tell you what, what I feel like my responsibility is. I have a bunch of them, but pertaining to this church. My job is to equip the saints for the work of God. And so I do that through connection. I do that through community. I do do that through phone calls. I do that through text. I do that through proclaiming God's word from this level of stage and then by demonstrating it in my home through the week so that when you see me, 
you understand that what I'm preaching, I'm doing my best to practice. So I'm trying to equip you for this work so that you don't get caught up in just maintenance where, and you know it's easy to get there. I found myself there where you look back and six months or a year or two years is gone and you're exactly today where you were two years ago. But Jesus is calling us to live on mission. Live on mission doesn't mean I pack all my things up and go to Africa. It means I just begin to change the and the filter perspective of how I, what I'm already doing. It's not even that you need to, I mean, maybe there's some things that you need to change doing, but let me tell you a great place to start would just be start changing what you care about when you're doing what you're already doing. When you go to Walmart and you see people, when you go to, I've shared this with our church, there's two gas stations in this community that I go to just to build relationships and I've been going there for, I don't know, two or three years. And I want to share this. I think this is important. I don't want to call you out, but there's a lady sitting in our church this morning who I go to the gym and for like six or seven months I would you know we would drop our kids off and we would say hi and we would talk and not one time did they ever be like hey I'm Peyton I'm a pastor I just was me and you know what listen sometimes having a spiritual conversation starts with hey what's your name what's your name where are you, where are you from and I'll share that to say this because for months, I think when, when you're a pastor, and you guys may feel this way as Christians, but when you're a pastor, people like expect you to, is you going to share Jesus with me? Or here, here comes the church invite. But can I be honest with you? Sometimes I don't even want people to know what I do. I just want them to see who I am. And so it was months and months and months of attending this gym before we even extended an invite. Now, some of you are like, hey, that's pretty rude. But I'm more interested in the relationship than just filling these seats up. Does it make sense? So it's just living on mission instead of just maintaining what I've got. This feels good. I'm comfortable. Jesus says, no, you, I'm calling you to go. Look at verse 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me take a selfie. <laughs> but first, let me say goodbye to my family. Now, listen, here's, here's the thing is, you know, we know that we, under, we have to understand the totality of Scripture, that Jesus... Um, four families that God gives us families we see from the beginning that Adam and Eve were created to be helpmates to, to be fruitful and bear children we know that God you know gives women that ability for those who whatever reason don't have he always sends, sends to tends to give women heart for children so we adopt just like we are before the father we know that God is for families he is for blended families. He's for step families. He's for adoptive families. He's for jacked up families. Amen. Anybody. I'm glad that he likes jacked up families. Thank you, Jesus. So we have to understand when we see this, that Jesus is not necessarily saying, hey, 
you've got to let Ashley, that baby, go. That's not what he's saying. But what he's teaching is that if you're coming with me, it's going to cost you something more than you might be willing to pay. So don't just play games. It is going to cost you some things. It is going to put you in some tension. Look what he says here. This is verse 62. This is pretty powerful. Jesus told him, anyone, anyone, the preacher, the pastor, the evangelist, the stay-at-home mom who is incredible at loving her children, the most gifted musician or vocalist on this stage, the most generous giver in this church, if anyone who puts a hand to the plow, who commits to following him, and then looks back and says, hey, one second, God. Listen, he is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's a pretty powerful statement coming from this loving, compassionate God. There's this tension of that. He wants you to make a decision to commit your life to him. You don't get to walk around in that grace just by default because of where you're from. And this is the reality of who Jesus is. He is grace. He took your place. And he loves you more than you can imagine, more than I can even begin to articulate and tell you. But before you can experience that, you must decide to put your hand to the plow. And listen, he, he's using a reference back then because they were agricultural, they would have been farmers and workers. But you get the point today, there's work if you're in Jesus. It's not cushion. It's going to involve some sit-up and tear-down. It's going to involve vacuuming some carpet. It's going to involve changing set designs. It's going to involve saying goodbye to some people, not first, so that you can follow Him, but after you follow Him, beginning to let some people go. And so then what we see lastly is if, it's, if, 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 if we're not fit then, if we put our hand to it, it's really what Jesus is doing is challenging the people to say, come. Then we know what he's saying is he's looking for laborers. He's looking for those, Cody, who will commit to them, themselves, to their family, but most importantly, to the Father in heaven that I will follow you, though none go with me. I do not know what it means. I know it's going to cost me some things. I don't understand everything about the Scripture. But I do believe in the finished work of the cross, that Jesus went there for me. The title of this Scripture that we read, 57 through 62, says it's, it, it's the cost. We're counting the cost, the cost of following Jesus. And when I, I want to ask you one more time, or tell you, if your relationship that you proclaim to have right now is not costing you anything, it may not be as valuable as you think it is. And I'm not suggesting that it's not real. I'm just saying it's going to cost you something. And so here's what I believe the gospel teaches. Here's what I believe that Jesus taught. He says the harvest is plentiful, and that means people that need him. 
the harvest is plentiful. People who need a relationship with Jesus, people who need to understand that he has grace and love and doesn't care what you wear to church. That doesn't care in terms of preventing you from coming to him, what you've done in your life, how many times you've been divorced, how many needles you've put in your arm, how selfish you are with your money, how cruel you've been to your kids. Only Jesus could take a heart like those and turn them into a laborer for him. So the Bible says it's by grace through faith that we are saved. And that word grace, I was talking in our volunteer service, I don't even know how to describe that really. I really don't. Because I think every time I try to, I always think of how is ungraceful a word. It's not, it should be. I think about how little grace that we show to one another. And so when we begin to tell someone about his grace, the only thing we can compare it to is what we've experienced from one another. But it's nothing like that. And so what I want to challenge you today, it really is, it's that, that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. A wretch. And I know what it's like to be a wretch. I want to challenge those who are here today, those who are watching online, listen to me, not to pray just a prayer, though I understand that Romans says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. I believe that. But before you even do that, I'm asking you today to quit walking around in default and make a decision to commit your life to Him. It does not mean that you wake up tomorrow and God calls you to a life of poverty. It does not mean that you wake up tomorrow and you understand everything that's happening. I've been following Jesus for a minute and I still don't understand it. I want to ask you today, will you make a decision to commit to following Christ? For those of you who would say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. Your story is my story. I've walked around for so long thinking I was something, but today I want to commit to that. So then we must come back, and how do we answer the question, am I really saved? For those who would say you are, I would just ask you this. I know that I'm really saved. I know that I'm really saved when I commit my life to following Him at any cost, no matter the cost. Because what you see is some people that made some professions, they prayed these prayers, I'll follow you wherever I go, but then Jesus gave the rebuttal, hey, you better be sure about that, and they were like, ah, hold on just one moment, I'm not quite ready yet. I know that I'm saved when I believe not only in Jesus, but what he did on the cross was enough for me, even me. And listen, I know that I'm really saved when I receive that and I decide to commit everything I am back to you. Someone here, I believe, we prayed this morning, you need to make that decision. 
I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not asking you to raise your hand because here's what I believe, that Jesus is right there with you. You don't have to come here to do that. You're welcome if you'd like. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. The band's going to sing a few little verses in course of this song. I know this seems like a gimmick, but let me explain why. Because you, you always hear the what, but let me explain why. If you make a decision today, will you somehow like let us know on your connection card? And this is why I want to follow up with you. We don't want you just to make this decision today and then be like, ah, well, great, you become a number on our spreadsheet on Monday morning when I get the numbers. We want to commit ourselves to walking with you and taking next steps and figuring this out together. Will you pray with me? God, you are so good. You are so good, and we know that you are looking for laborers here, and we know that the harvest is plentiful, Father. We know that there are people who need you. Perhaps they're sitting under the sound of my voice right now. And God, would you use the proclamation of your words through my mouth to pierce their hardened hearts, their confused heart, their skeptical hearts, their doubting hearts. Holy Spirit, come down in this place. And you do what only you can do. You alone. You alone, Father, save people, not us. We point them to you. God, for those of us who doubt, are we saved? Are we in that relationship? Do we have that commitment? Are we in good standing with you? Remind us, God, remind us that salvation comes from you. We do not earn it. God, we cannot obtain it without your grace and choosing to receive it. We don't work for it. We don't deserve it. We aren't worthy of it. But it's the goodness of who you are. It is that amazing grace. How sweet the sound of even the word grace. Pour your grace out on this place today. May we be a place of grace. May we be a people who say, God, I commit to you. I'm making decision to follow you today, tomorrow. I don't know what it means, but I trust my church family to walk with me and help me understand this. God, would you raise up a soldier? Uh, Would you raise up, um, God, an army? Would you raise up leaders here? Would you raise up great Christian parents, great Christian workers that we would go live on mission everywhere? God, in our community, God, today, would you save someone? Thanks for listening to today's message. We'd love to stay connected with you through the week. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at City Lights AC. Thanks again, and join us soon.